The FujiCast is an independent loading zone production. Kev, with any luck, as our wonderful audience are listening to this, you should be going through this. Anybody travelling with children, we hate you. Uh, actually, no, you'll be there. So, actually, you should be listening to this. <laughs> That's, they're a bit loud. What's that? I can't hear it. They're crickets. We don't have crickets, we have cicadas. Oh, same sort of thing, just different cicadas language. Cicadas are like cricket-eating beasts. Are they? They're not. Uh, didn't he have a hit, John Cicada? Haven't we been <laughs> through this one before? Yeah, several hits. What do you mean yeah. they're, they're, they're um, insect-eating beasts? What size are they? Oh, they're huge. They're, they're the size of a uh, bird. What? No. Yeah, easily, easily. <laughs> That's why they're so noisy. There's actually only one in each, like one every kilometre. That's why they make so much noise. Yeah. There is a Some re- of them are as big as cats. No, don't be daft. Yeah, <laughs> you do have scorpions because I know in the past yep. um, you you I mean you still have to shake your shoes out in the morning, don't you? Scorpions, tarantulas, <laughs> funnel web spiders no. in that area. Yeah, I've never webs. seen a funnel web, but I've seen no. several tarantulas and scorpions. Yeah, what around the pool? Spiders around the pool. Um, there was a snake in the pool. Uh, the ter- the Gemma woke up one day with a scorpion on her chest. No. Oh. <laughs> Only little ones. I mean, they wouldn't, they'd probably potentially kill a cat or a cicada, but they'd, uh, they'd hurt. All the same. What did, uh, what did Gemma say as she, as she woke from her pleasant <laughs> holiday fueled slumber to find a cat eating, uh, beast on her, on her chest? He screamed, got up, flicked <laughs> it off, and then we all chased it around the room and hit it with a frying pan. Mullins, come here! Oh. The Fuji cast. <laughs> Uh, were you to blame? Did you get the blame anyway? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. You left the window Definitely. open. You left the door open. Yeah. It's your very yeah. presence. Ah. <laughs> oh, well, here we go. This is the. Um, well, this is the last monthly one until we go bi-monthly. Just to remind you of what that means, Kev, because you got it slightly wrong on the the Fuji. Is it cards. bi-monthly or bi-weekly? No, it's bi bi-monthly. Bi-weekly will be twice a week, Kev. Oh, is it? Yeah. Bi bi-monthly is every other week. Twice a week. What yeah. happens when there's five weeks in a month? What well, do you do then? Well, yeah, it's sort of flip flops. It's just every other week, really, isn't it? Is there just every other week? That's that's the way to think about it, Kev. Bi monthly in a bit. Yeah, bi yeah, monthly point five, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to the Fuji Cast. It's um, it's a it's a it's a August summer um show, and in the past, of course. Uh, we've we've done this show from Kev's base in well I haven't he has <laughs> in Spain but this year you're travelling with absolutely no kit at all so we can't even record one while you're away can we because you, you've decided not to take any 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 baggage of any kind I've packed I have a pair of underpants a pair of flip flops and an X one hundred V is that it Yep oh okay <laughs> what are you going to do when you get there you're just going to fester. <laughs> well, I got clothes out there. Have you? Um, oh, right. okay. yeah. yeah. Hopefully this will fit me. <laughs> That's it. You just wear a pair of shorts. That's, don't want to be wearing anything else. You're going to be one of those. Uh, you're going to be one of those really annoying passengers that just gets off. Uh, what waltzes through the first one through passport, and then the first one through baggage reclaim because you have no baggage. Oh, best way yeah. to fly. Fingers crossed. All the horror stories we all hear at the minute, but hopefully yeah. it's all good. I worked with a broadcaster who worked in the very same way. He took himself. It was a pair of trousers, a spare pair of trousers, a spare pair of pants, socks, and that was it. And then he just took his small little cassette um, interview recorder. No, not taking socks. He just not taking socks. Well, that's true. You don't need them where you're going. 
Well, welcome to the FujiCast. Usually over that music, we, we say uh, we've got lots coming up today, uh, answering your questions on Facebook and, of course, through uh, through email as well. Uh, Emily Endine is our guest, who's one of the, the new ex-photographers. We'll be talking to her about van life, Kev. Van life. That's what you need in your life. Yeah. <laughs> now, look, here, biannually. What does biannually mean? Biannually would be twice a year, wouldn't it? Yeah, you're right. I just looked it up on the internet. You Could don't put... I always thought that meant, like, every two years. No, 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 no. no. Bi, bi is twice a year biannually or bi-monthly twice a month bi-weekly my entire life twice a week have you made this mistake for your entire life yep entirely no wonder you've been busier than you meant to be (laughs) 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 yeah yeah. right well that's sorted um shall we crack on with questions oh oh, yeah van life kev that's uh talking to emily ending one of our new ex-photographers but she's talking about she's gone and bought herself a um a hymer uh, it's the real classic, proper classic mo- motorhome. Could you could you live that like? Imagine that, Kev. Once a year, we do a we do a month, just one month, by the way, one uh, one month on. Uh, maybe, maybe we could borrow Emily Endine's camper. What do you think? You and me on the road. Isn't it called a Hummer? No, Hymer. A Hummer. Oh my God! Are we going to have this for the whole show? <laughs> a Hummer. I have no idea what a Hymer is. How do you spell it? H Y M E R, I think, is a Heimer. Look up Heimer. Be careful. Oh, yeah. Look at that. That's cool, isn't it? I'm very envious. Yeah, that'd be cool if we could. You can't buy a right hand drive one. They're they're all left hand drive ones. As far as I know, I think they're all left hand drive ones. That's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. These ex photographers these days buying vans. Yeah. Well, and some of them actually have. poor ex ex photographers. (laughs) (laughs) And us never been ex photographers. Um... I was in. Yeah. yeah, Well, that's true. (laughs) I was was overly excited yesterday, the day before yesterday. I was doing a family shoot in uh, Milford on Sea and it was a petrol station. It was £1.92 for diesel. I was like, right, I'll be, because I'll be came with me for the day we're going there on the way home i was <laughs> so thrilled and you got there to <laughs> run out no they did have some yeah there's a guy over this way by the way as uh one of those small independent there's not many of them around i know independent petrol stations who is selling at the moment for one i'm sure sam said 182 or something like that diesel uh petrol yeah petrol oh so it'd be a bit more expensive for, for diesel oh you found diesel in the 180s uh 192 yeah. Oh, I think he's cheaper than that. I think he's at the late 180, 189 or something. Well, good for him. Yeah. Just trying to make a, a point to petrol stay. I mean, the other day, as, as it's all going now below 190, I stopped for a, one of those expensive sandwiches, you know, at a motorway service. Was it a subway? No, 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 no. I don't. Is it a foot long subway? No, 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 no. Did not. you cut it in half no. and you call it a buy subway? No, <laughs> that's it. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I stopped for a sandwich, but on account of the fact that I didn't have much change out of 60 quid, I, 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 it was a bit tight. But the. Um, Big sandwich. <laughs> no, well, you know what it's like at motorway service. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. the petrol, £2.8. Uh, £2.8, Kev. Somebody is profiteering. It's wrong. Don't don't even get me started. It is wrong. Mm. You've got me started now. It's awful. <laughs> it is the, the one by here, the one, the BP garage in Malmesbury. He's still at one ninety nine. <laughs> I wouldn't go there. I'd rather walk. I might have to edit some of that bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't care. I've told I, I, him on Facebook. I, 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 did you tell him on Facebook? Yeah. What did he say back? Oh, uh, he didn't really answer. 
Oh, we buy our fuel. Uh, yeah, we have to buy our fuel yeah. like months in advance, etc., etc., etc. I'm like, yeah. Well, so does everybody else. Is he the is he the petrol station owner then? He's the franchisee. He's the franchisee. Because yeah. I'm very careful not not to say anything to the people that are working uh, behind the kiosks because it's not their fault. No. Yeah. Quite. Absolutely. Um, you know, totally they're, they're fed up to it. The back teeth with it. When you go in, please don't moan at me. It's not yeah. my fault. Yeah, so. I get that. Yeah, I understand that fully. But the guy that you're talking about... The guy what owns it, he can do a runner. Yeah, you're not sending him a Christmas card this year, that's for sure. Right, questions, questions, questions. Um, do you want to start or shall I? Well, first of all, I've got a, a question. Mm. Today's a very sad day, oh. as we record this. Why? Uncle Bulgaria has died. Uncle... The, the Womble? Bernard Cribbins. Oh, no! Yeah. I've got he's to be gone. honest, I thought he'd gone a while back, but no, I... He was 93, I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to feign some kind of oh-no-ness here because that is still sad. Oh, that's Bernard really sad. Bernard Cribbins is part of my childhood. He's part Right, said Fred. Better get yeah, that's it. Junior choice. <laughs> so here's the question for you. Go on. Where did Uncle Bulgaria pick his papers up and where did he take them to? In the Wombles. Yeah. Because Bernard Cribbins played Uncle Bulgaria. Uncle Bulgaria. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. whether he, he must have picked them up probably from the bin on Wimbledon Common. Yes. Because they would scavenge, wouldn't they, the Wombles? They, they, they did, clean Wimbledon yeah. Common up. So yeah. he must have... Or did he pick it up from a park bench or something? Mm, it's not so much where he picked it up, it's where he took them to. Oh. Where did he take the papers? I had no idea, Kev. I don't remember that part of the show. He took them to Tobermory. And what did Tobermory do with them? Uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> Tobermory is actually the capital of the Isle of Skye. But he was also a Womble. Uncle Bulgaria, he can remember the days when he wasn't behind the times with his map of the world, pick up the papers and take them to Tobermory. If you're American, by the way, you've got absolutely no idea what we're talking about here. They were, oh, they were, I, re- I reckon they'll know the Wombles. No, really? No. no. The fluffy characters on, on children's BBC. They were great. Madame Shirley was my first crush. Yes. <laughs> Madame Shirley, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, uh, there we go. Uh, yeah. And ha- I had an Orinoco fluffy puppet. Yeah. Yeah, Orinoco. there we go. Oh, right. what can't they... What, like, the kids these days, they're watching things like Stranger Things and stuff like that, where they have people with Mute. eyes, blood peering out of their eyes and stuff like that. That's right, yeah. Why can't they watch the Wombles? <laughs> it's slightly different to what we grew up with, Kev. The, yeah, no. the Wombles and through the square window. That was it, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. That was it. And Brian Kant. You have to be very careful with that name. Yeah, uh, yeah. oh, uh, well, yes. It, it, I'm not going to say the G word, but if you um, ask the G yeah. device on your phone, dear listeners, yeah. when you do not have your children with you, what 100 is in Welsh uh, sounds very similar to Brian Kant. Anyway. Um, <laughs> shall, we last, move, shall we move on? That's why I don't teach our kids Welsh. <laughs> quite. Last week, I'll be came up from school one day and he said, Dad, do you know what 100 is in Welsh? Oh, yeah. Went, no, no, anyway, no. it's... Yeah. Um, um, I, uh, Gemma, last week, uh, yeah, it would have been last week because I'll be finished primary school. So yeah. she said, can you do the photo booth? Like me and photo, they kind of run, my back just started sweating immediately. They asked you to do the photo booth at a school yeah. gig. Yeah. So Gemma went to the PFA meeting about right. it and, and, and everybody oh, was doing God, stuff. She, she, she didn't suggest you, did she, without mm-hmm. asking first? No, no, no. In fairness to her, what happened was 
somebody said oh last year we had a photo booth and then all eyes in the room like <laughs> 32 pairs of eyes just immediately turned and stared at Gemma and she was and she was thinking morning morning I've got to break this to Mullins <laughs> and, uh, I got up in the morning of the of the thing I had to lug my background and my oh, light and no. yeah, camera and all that over oh. to the school it's not that far but it was like and um I was in a right mood about it because I was really busy and you know all this kind of stuff yeah and, she, and uh, Gemma said, uh, "Oh no, not Gemma, Mrs. Woods, the head teacher, lovely lady." She goes, um, "Well, you know, you're gonna, are you gonna kind of, have you got props and you know, big glasses <laughs> and hair, and you're gonna get them to, you know, make funny faces and everything." <laughs> I'd have paid to watch this. I, I said to her, "I said, look, Mrs. Woods, <laughs> I'm more Jack D than I am Mr. Tumble. <laughs> get used to that." <laughs> so what were your pictures then were they all quite sort of miserable <laughs> uh no the kids i just left the kids to, to, to do i said look at me that's it and then i took pictures and I, of course because i had static light as well i didn't use flash so they were all very confused because they just kept staring at me and i was like that's it go on her off get your next one in get the next flea ridden little child in <laughs> you're like that child entertainer on uh on heidi high that hated, hated oh the yeah, yeah hang on we're back in the airport oh. Anybody travelling with children, we hate you. There we go. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, was, it was a bit like that. <laughs> so, um, do we have any bump to the fronts or anything like that before we go for the questions? Uh, let me just quickly test, check, even is the word. Um, or, or, or any welcomes well, to do. Oh, yeah, no, you've thrown me now. It's been so long since we've done this. I better, better <laughs> it's, do uh, this. It's only a month, Mullins, it's only a month. I know. Um, well, I've moved all my files to my new... OneDrive account. Oh, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Patrons, there we go. Yeah. Uh, yes, we have five to say hello to, or oh. thank you to. Go on then. <laughs> have uh, Angela Fenwick. Thank yeah. you, Angela. We have Steve Shreve. Thank you, Steve. We have George Gillum. Thank you, George. We have RB, just called himself or herself RB. So thank you, RB. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have Patrick Kelly. Okay. Uh, so in terms of bumps to the fronts, we do have one. In fact, from Patrick Kelly. Yeah, and, and one from Scott Carney as well, actually. Yes, yeah. we do. You're right. Shall I do t- Shall I do the Scott one? You do the other one? Go on then. You go first. S- uh, Scott Carney um, said, message for the show. I wondered a little about the behind the scenes of the podcast itself. Who do you host with, if at all? Well, of course, we host with somebody. We have to. How do you get the show onto the different platforms and your own website? And any other useful information for running a podcast? I refer you, Scott, to my running a podcast workshop, <laughs> which, you are, which you are welcome to attend to find out how to make oodles of money uh, from running a podcast. But you might be a little bit disappointed. Well, a quick answer to that. Um, we host with a company called Libsyn, uh, which are, I think, still the biggest hosting platform. Um, Joe Rogan used to be with them before he got paid a hundred gazillion dollars. Uh, from Spotify. How do you get the show onto the different platforms? That's all about uh, sharing your RSS feed. Um, Which lives in do on your behalf, don't they? No, no, they don't, actually. Uh, the, some of them, some of them are, 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 are much less automated. Um, for example, if you go with Anchor, then they do it all for you. There are various other ones that do, but no, Libsyn, I had to, uh, had to push it through. Any other useful information for running a podcast? Blimey, how long have you got? <laughs> That could be a forever. We've been doing it three years, you and I, Kev. <laughs> that could be a book in itself. 
What What do you think is the most useful info for running a podcast, Kev? And I'll find one as well. Get Neil to do all the hard stuff. No, that that's not the answer, Kev. What oh. <laughs> What's the most useful? That's on my That's on my podcast workshop. Is it? <laughs> yeah, people come in through the door. We sit down. We have coffee, and we have you know we chat. We watch a bit of telly. I show them my microphone, and I just say that's it. Everything else gets done by the the fairy that is Neil. Right. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I like that. <laughs> Um, no, I don't know. I think probably, uh, isn't it about consistency and, yeah. uh, you know, having a format and all of that kind of stuff. That's what they always say. And try and, try and find something a different. A lot more yeah. about it than me. Yeah. Try and find something different. I think is what, what we're saying, isn't it, Kev, really? Yeah. I mean, I, I think when we started this and also, uh, my other flavored podcast, I, I wanted to be aware. And I think we wanted to be aware of not just having a, another interview show because there are so many really good a, another interview shows on. So to try and find something that that flavours the show, whether that be the sound of you moving around in the open air, whether that be kind of a zoo format thing that we do here. Sometimes we do something on the road, don't we, Kev? So bring some bring some texture and then it will have a sense of USP. Yeah, texture. That sounds good. And, yeah. and and what did you have? What was your bump to the front? Oh, uh, yes. Sorry. Oh, I've lost it again. No, there it is. Uh, Patrick Kelly, long-time listener, brand-new patron. Thank you. Signed up. So I, I could offer a suggestion. Make a request. Uh, that's, there's okay. a stroke in the middle of that. And it's kind of out there. So would not be surprised if you skip it. Oh, <laughs> oh, I, no. I had not read this first. Oh, dear. <laughs> now we're going to have to do it. Uh, <laughs> there's this photographer who I followed yeah. for years on Flickr. Right. He has taken some breaks, but it seems like he is re-engaging in photography. That's good. His name, yeah, his name is Sanders McNew, M-C-N-E-W. And on Instagram, it is Sanders NYC. So if you have a quick look at that. Oh, well. I've now clicked on that link and gone from the question. So there we go. Um, Sanders NYC. Oh, it is nice, isn't it? A lot of infrared, infrared stuff. Instagram, Sanders, S-A-N-D-E-R-S-N-Y-C, as in New York City. So I Very used nice. to take pictures and live in a city, then I stopped. Now I live at the end of a dirt road on the Seven Mile Ridge. Sometimes I take pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I quite like that. I do like it. I love that latest one with the cow. Yeah, just standing in the middle it's, of the road. It's infrared. There's a lot of infrared stuff yeah, here, yeah, from, which from makes my, it look like it's in the, in the winter, in the, in, the, yeah, in the snow. In the snow yeah. yeah, very nice. Very nice. Very nice. We like new people yeah. to look at. So what, was there, was there a, a point to that or just we're Not being really. pointed to so it? That was just, just kind of pointing our eyes at it. Do you know what I really like about the fact that it, there's there's no real format to this at all? It's just I like to take a few pictures and there's yeah. pictures of people here, sometimes animals, sometimes the bread that he makes in the morning. No, it's good. I like that as well. Very right. nice indeed. Wouldn't it, nice, wouldn't it be nice to just take pictures sometimes? I'm telling you, Kev, we need a van, we can travel on the road and make our pictures. Yep. You can bring the background with you and we'll make the money to afford it by you doing school shoots. You <laughs> <laughs> like, could dress up as Uncle Bulgaria. Like what you did the other day. Right, to <laughs> questions. Shall I start with one then? Go on then. Um, hi, Kev. This is from Greg Pedder. Hi, Kev. Hi, Neil. Uh, in episode 225, you talked about the roadmap, in particular the new 56 1.2 Mark II lens. You might have something to say about that, Kev. I don't know. I have a question for Kev. Well, hopefully you have got something to say about it. I'm considering purchasing either the 50 F1 or waiting for the 56 F1.2 Mark II. Having had a chance to extensively test the 50 F1, would you choose to purchase the 56 1.2 and not the 50 F1? If you were spending your cash, what would you do, Kev? Okay, so um, I don't. Uh, the, the, the new fifty-six has been announced on the roadmap, but obviously I don't know 
anything more about it apart from I would imagine it will be faster than the previous one. Why, My hope why is will it that, be? And how will it be faster? Why? Well, just newer tech, isn't it? Yeah. Probably thinner elements, that kind of stuff in there. I, I'm guessing it'll be weather sealed as well. Mm-hmm. Previous one wasn't. So I have been using the 50F1 all through the winter, in fact, because my 56 uh, 1.2 got a bit of a, got the ump with me, stopped working. But something about um, firmware that was a problem for you, although I, I've I've got an older 56 1.2 on the front of the XH2S, I'm not having any problems. Well, I wasn't actually going to say that bit about it being a problem with the firmware. I won't. <laughs> but okay. I will now. That's it, the back. Uh, um, Do you want me to edit that bit out, or can we no. carry on? No, it yeah, was, so, it so, was, did you so the old, did, did you do a firmware update and then it didn't work for you or something? Yeah, basically, a, uh, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, <laughs> there was a series of firmware updates to the Fujifilm cameras, which yeah. introduced an issue to uh, for the 56 1.2, but only if you're using the AFL button on the back back button focusing. Ah, which you do. I do. And I discovered this and it was very frustrating. So essentially it would, not always as well, you'd focus and then it would like release the focus and you'd have to focus again. Um, Lots of people kind of came across this issue as well. So uh, I did spend some time with uh, the, the, the good chaps in Tokyo chatting about it and kind of sending through data and stuff like that. Um, and yes, it was an issue. So I stopped using my 56 1.2 at that point. Uh, 50 F1 was available, so I have had that. With the the plan being that it would it would get me through the winter because I needed an F1 or F1.2 because I don't use lights or anything. Yeah, so yeah. Um, 50 F1 came and it is very very good. It's it's like massive, huge. Yeah. Um, but obviously it, you can practically see in the dark. There's not a lot of difference between F1 and F1.2. To be totally honest with you. It, it, I find it perfectly sharp at F1. My, uh, I would say my gut feeling, if you don't need uh, a super fast prime lens at the moment, mm. is to wait for the new 56 because it will be smaller. Mm. Well, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about the smaller thing. So the fi- the 56, the new 56 is going to be smaller than the sort of heavier one that I've I've currently got. Yeah, I don't know. So the new 56, I pre- I'm hoping will be similar size or maybe a tiny bit bigger than the original 56. Oh, bigger. Right, okay. I, I Well, or the same size. Right. I can't imagine they'll make it smaller. I just can't see how that would happen because a 1.2 lens needs a lot of glass inside it. So I'd be very surprised if it's smaller. Yeah. But, but in, ter- uh, in terms of focal length, 50 millimetres versus 56. So uh, if, if you're thinking in, in old 35 mil language, that's 9 millimetres of difference or 6 mil, obviously, APS-C. Is that enough to make a, a difference that he needs to swap out of that and go for the 56? Yeah, it's just one step back, isn't it? Mm, That's it. Yeah. Really. I mean, really, I think that 50, 50 F1 lens was designed, was made, A, to prove a point. Mm. Yes, we can do. They were the world's first F1 mirrorless autofocus lens, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, but I think it's primarily aimed at studio photographers or portrait photographers, I should say, right. who want that yeah. superb depth of field. Okay. Bocker. Bocker. And I think that's the primary target. 
if you're unless you're in that that camp i would suggest waiting for the uh, the version 2 of the 56 whenever it, it hits the shops and of course that does depend somewhat on you know supply and the electronic gubbins and all of the issues with, you know you can't get anything these days can you well i do you know what i'm delighted to have um as you know i've started using my xh2s now for weddings and uh, i used a combination i've never done this before kev used two different bodies i know you have but i haven't it's just something i've never ever 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 done so i used the x100v and the xh2s in combo and I, I found it worked really well. but And then I, I thought, well, possibly, could I go for two X100Vs and the XH2S? Looked online, you cannot find an X100V for love nor your mother-in-law. No, they're rare as hen's teeth at the moment. Um, oh, I know. It, but everything is. Mm. If you look at, uh, you know, certain Sony cameras, Canon, they're, they're, it's all the same. It, you know, it's, it's like parts for a car. Everything, it, it's just... Oh. Mr. Tumble would sort it out. He would, Mr. Tumble. We need Mr. Tumble <clears throat> as world leader. Maybe Mr. Tumble should have gone for the conservative leadership. I think he did. I'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah. tell you what, uh, sort of up to date. Somebody did take a tumble, obviously, on the television show, didn't they? She's all oh, right, no, fortunately. Yeah. She, poof. But yeah, yeah I've re- I was reading the comments in the YouTube video that that uh, had some extra extra angles on it, and uh, I think most of the comments were, "Oh, they bored the host enough that she completely she just she just fell over." Yeah, she. Well, honestly, this is this is gospel truth, right? So I was on the I was on um, signal chat thing with the 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 radio station I I do my show on. They don't we don't use WhatsApp. We use Signal, which is a similar thing. And um, I was recounting the story on there about the old lady. That that died at the wedding, which we've talked about a million times on this show. And as I was recounting that, tapping away on my phone, I was watching this thing on the television. Oh. And this woman died. Did she go and this woman this woman fell over. She toppled. No, she didn't die. No, no, sorry, she didn't die. She She fainted. I literally just said on the signal chat, oh, I think I've just done it again, you know. <laughs> I just I glanced at the TV and then there was this old mighty bang oh. and Liz Truss looked like uh, looked like she was... She, she had, looked horrified, She had to open a door she? and she didn't know which one to open. <laughs> Tell you, Mr. Tumble. Mr. Tumble and um, and Uncle Bulgaria. Yeah, that's that's who we need to run the world. Either they or. Either it. or, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, go on. Question from Facebook. Have you got one? Yeah. So, uh, as is time on a tradition, I will start with the most recent question, which was two days ago. Paul Sizzlard. I always say that wrong. How Sill- would you say Sillard. It? Sillard. Yeah. What are your thoughts re-providing full, providing full res JPEGs versus prints mounted in an album? Mm. Also, as a guideline, do you get many orders for reprints? Lastly, any thoughts on self-service sites such as SmugMug, where people can order whatever size and type they want without giving me any overheads? Thanks for a great podcast. It's my number one listening source. Wow. Thank you, Paul. Well, let's go for one question at a time. And the first one was about prints versus uh, JPEGs. versus JPEGs, wasn't it? I mean, I, 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 we do the same, don't we, Kev? Uh, it's, it's a download of the full resolution JPEGs. Yeah. So we're coming at this from a wedding photographer's point of view. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would hazard a guess if you're a wedding photographer in this day and age and you do not supply your clients with JPEGs, you will go out of business pretty damn quick. Um, what, what do you mean supply them with JPEGs? You are, though, aren't you, when you supply them the full-resolution images? Yes, but the question is giving them JPEGs versus prints, yeah? yeah so yeah. if you're, if, as a wedding photographer, if I said to my clients, you don't get any digital images, but you can, you know, I'll give you prints, uh, even if the prints are free, they're probably going to say, 
Uh, I won the JPEGs. Won the, oh, sorry, I, I thought you were um, suggesting the other way around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, no. yes, yeah. Uh, however, there are there are a lot of um, very well established portrait family photographers, all of that kind of stuff, who who yeah. do work on the the print model. Yes, um, something similar. I, I did it myself recently. I, I I did a couple of family shoots a few weeks ago, and I've, I've set up a new pricing system where they, if they spend a certain amount on prints, then they will get the digital images for free. Right. Otherwise, they have to buy the buy the digital images, and that's a quite a common practice, quite a common kind of um, way of doing things for that type of business. But I would suggest for weddings, it's it's going to be very tricky to you know to yeah. only give prints and try and sell the JPEGs. Yeah, the problem is you'd be up against too much competition that are giving it the other yeah giving the JPEGs, aren't they? And yeah, yeah. so it would yeah, never work. It's yeah. it's, it's and also it what is it's the world we live in, isn't it? it you know it's. Yeah. We live in a digital world now. So yes, the competition obviously is there, but also, you know, it's like I only come to my I only come to weddings on a bike, on a pedal bike, because that's how I like it. Yeah. It's like, well, if can you come in a car and get there like four days earlier instead? Uh, you know, it's it's the world we live in, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Second question was Do you get many orders for reprints? It's a bit hit and miss, really, Kev. It it does sometimes I I get healthy big order through pick time, which we'll come to, but but often no. Yeah, exactly the same. I, I occasionally get a, a reasonable order, nothing that's going to kind of pay for a tank of petrol. But as I said, the family stuff, which which I've done a few more of recently, yeah, they're far more likely to order a print or oh order yeah, something. yeah, yeah. But weddings, yeah, not so much. And again, I think that might be certain something to do with style. People typically don't seem to buy documentary style pictures to stick on walls as far as i can tell they never have whereas i think if you're more of an editorial uh, wedding photographer then i i guess you probably would sell more prints mm. but for a documentary style it just doesn't seem to do that yeah the print sales that i do have do tend to be family portraits so yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um so yeah that's the state of the industry right now i would or, say or actually an interesting addenda addendum to that um, now that I've got my uh, my converter, my teleconverter lens on the uh, X100V, I've been taking it out for probably about eight, nine, ten weddings as the as the evening camera, and I've been making portraits, and I've sold a few of those, <laughs> and I just did it because I wanted to start doing more street portraiture stuff, and I thought, well, I might as well, as I'm at a wedding and people don't mind having their picture taken, I'll, I'll just get busy at weddings in the evening and sort of practice my patter. And I've sold a few of those. So it, well, that proves the point, doesn't it? That it's portraits. Yeah, exactly. And the last part, last part of the question was what about um, services such as SmugMug, which essentially automate all of that that mm. stuff for you? Yeah. And both you and I use PickTime. That's right. Uh, which is similar to SmugMug, similar to Zenfolio, similar to... Ooh, there's loads of them. Do you remember and, why you changed, Kev? I, I mean, I changed to pick time because I really liked the the way it displayed the photographs. It looked more slick and it just felt less, to me, felt less clunky. Yeah, I changed because you changed, basically. Uh, you <laughs> okay. showed me yours and I was like, wow, look at that. I'll have a bit of that. <laughs> That's happened a few times, mind. But um, <laughs> the thing about pick time, the thing about all of these systems, by the way, so SmugMug, PickTime, Zenfolio, all of that kind of stuff, if you do the automated fulfillment, mm. i.e. client goes onto the website, they buy a print, 
it goes automatically goes off to a lab. You get some money. You yeah. don't have any dealings with it. And, and same thing for albums. So I love pick time because my clients will build their own album and they have the benefit of that. That's mm. a benefit. They mm. can pick their own prints. They can look at the layouts. They can do all of that. However, if you were to sell that album or print directly or go to the lab directly, all right. So let's just say digital lab up in, in Newcastle. You know, uh, if I was, if, if, if I was to do a, a, a fulfillment through one of the online systems, I would make less profit than if I were to go directly to the lab and do the, do the stuff myself. And in some cases, it's quite a substantial difference. So certainly some of the album manufacturers on pick time, you know, they charge a premium for the pick time integration. Yeah. Pick time take a bit of their profit as well. So, you know, you're, you are, you are technically losing out on your margins, but you get the luxury of not having to do, uh, the legwork. So for me, it makes a lot of sense. I used to make more sales, Kev, when I, for a while, diligently produced cards and left them on the, uh, on the tables where they were eating. Mm. I stopped doing that, uh, well before the, even COVID came along. But for a while, I tried that, and it was quite a successful way of doing it. They had. What did it say on the cards? It it just uh, and it was a handwritten job. I had to do this, Kev. I had to do about thirty, forty cards to have enough on tables. Um, But I just would. I'd always know the uh, the URL up ahead what the wedding was going to be on. So Mm. so they would pocket the card, and then they'd you know they'd be in there. Yeah, and and actually, so I had a client a few months back who said before the wedding said, "Oh, will you be bringing a card with you know with the links to the pictures?" Well, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So the client asked me. I didn't do that, but it did get me thinking because now I have a page on my website. It's, It's it's kind of buried under that you go info and then it says client galleries yeah. and has a access to all of my client galleries. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Obviously you need the password and all that. So there's actually only one you could only just you could just print them with just that URL. Yeah. Oh you could, yeah. yeah. And then and then just doesn't have, have to be a unique one. Yeah, but ha- have some sort of some sort of password that that is obvious always. You know, the, well, like like the bride and groom's surnames together or something. Well, so there's a couple of things that you I think you'd probably need to be careful of here in that you don't really want to be giving client a uh, guest access to clients um galleries but how are they going to see the clients them okay how are you gonna, uh, well well that's the be- one of the benefits of these systems isn't it so the clients will essentially grant access mm-hmm. so um they, they all, so on pick time the, the clients will share or grant access to guests yes. um until they do that nobody can get in oh, but the yeah. url is the yeah. same yes. so yeah. if so and so goes to my kevin Monner's photography info client galleries um, and clicks on a link, they won't get in unless the client has has allowed access. But but at some stage, the client will need to give them some sort of code, won't they? Otherwise, you could access any of the galleries that have been unlocked on your on that page. Yeah, well, essentially, yes, you could. They can lock it down. I think the reason why I'm stumbling over this is because I think this is a pick time specific feature rather than uh, any of the others. I certainly never record this kind of feature in Zenfolio, so they can essentially just switch it on or off. That's that's the only thing that I'd be careful of because I, I I say to my clients when I send them the gallery, you know, you can if you wish, you can choose to hide some images, you know, some of the bridal prep stuff. Perhaps they don't particularly want everybody to be seeing before they then open the gallery up for other people. They still get to see them, yeah. but they can they can hide some stuff. So that's my only thought on that. But yeah, I mean, otherwise, I, I think the the cards on the table thing is 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 not a bad idea, mm. especially if you're you know more of an editorial style photographer. Yeah. Well, now now that Kev, you're taking your backgrounds everywhere and doing portraits, then you know it's something to think about. Uh, right, let's hear from our guest, 
uh, part one, Emily Endine, who is one of the, the new ex-photographers. She is not, not only a van life, a committed now van lifer, but also her work beneath the waves, if you like, because she, she's a, a sea swimmer, is absolutely gorgeous. So here's a chance to meet one of the new ex-photographers. This is Emily Endine. Emily, you, you mentioned on your website that you've reached a point where you actually don't remember life without photography. D- does your story start with uh, with a member of your family buying you a first camera or being a photographic mentor? Yeah, I think it was um, way back when I was about five or six years old. Oh, wow. Somebody gave me my first film camera. It was just a little cheap plastic thing. I don't think it was anything particularly fancy. Yeah. But yeah, I just remember taking pictures of my family and we we moved to Bournemouth when I was about four years old. So that's probably around the time that I remember my first kind of memories of scenery and going out to the new forest and going out to the beach, and just taking pictures. Yeah. And I've still got a few of those pictures now. Oh, amazing. And they, they amazing. are awful. Oh. They're terrible. <laughs> because you look at them and obviously I know who they are because it's my family, but nobody else would be able to make out who's who. But but that's, they, the, that's the fun of finding old photographic books, isn't it? That you think, yeah. wow, look at that. I mean, there's almost a a sort of charm i found um when my mother passed away and we went into the attic and and started to do the attic clearance i found all the old albums mum and i'm sorry mum i'll look skyward as i say this but she was hopeless when it came to (laughs) uh, when it came to photographing things it was either in the corner of the frame or it completely missed or it was a red arrows ants shot as we used to call them (laughs) But but that there's almost kind of a, an endearing charm about that, isn't it? Find, there is. Finding that there old is. stuff, isn't there? I think, yeah. And I, it's kind of, I see that as quite artistic yeah. and creative anyway. <laughs> I'm sure there's something to be had about having you know, something in the corner of the frame and all that, yeah. that empty space. Yeah, yeah, maybe she knew about negative space. See, yeah. see, Wendy, you did it all right. <laughs> you did okay. Your your other very fond relationship is with the sea, though, isn't it? And you mentioned you moved to Bournemouth when you were very young, and I know yeah. that, that there certainly is a family member who helped you forge that path, and that that's Gran, isn't it? Yes, I've got great memories of yeah. going down the beach with my Gran and, and our whole family. So you know, I can literally remember standing there, five, six years old, holding my mum's hand, holding my Gran's hand, and just jumping the waves. Yeah. And it's just such great memories, and you know, we'd be in there. Uh, no matter the weather if it's raining everyone was kind of like come on we're gonna get wet anyway let's just get in there just have fun and we'd all end up back on the shoreline wrapped in a towel sharing a flask of coffee and yeah just those memories are really really special so did the photography start then as well with the uh, i mean was there a period where you were photographing the sea then i know it's very early years yeah i probably did take a few snaps of my family at the beach but yeah not not so much taking photos of the sea though i don't think you you do describe yourself as an ocean addict what is it about the sea and the coastline now that that draws you to it that makes you photograph it yeah so i think um probably over the last 10 years or so i photographed it a lot Mm. and i've always drawn to the shoreline and and i just like playing around with the shutter speeds the movement of the water so i've always had that and then it's probably during one of the first lockdown, actually, living so close to the sea. It got me out in the morning working from home. It just got me out the house and got me down to the beach. And I started getting in the sea and experiencing this really nice environment of just floating, looking up at the clouds, enjoying complete escapism from whatever else was going on in the world. And that was how I started my day. And I realized at that point, you know, going from a child to growing up, there's all, all these other things that happen in your life in between. And I probably had forgotten about 
how good the sea was. So that at that point, I decided I need to try and photograph what I'm experiencing. So I got an underwater housing. And it was kind of at that point that I started experimenting with shots of sunrise from the water. And photography and my love of being in the sea just suddenly merged again. There, there's a great meditational thing to it, isn't there? There's a photographer mm. who I follow and I, and I adore her work, Margaret Sorare. Oh, who, yes, I know Margaret. Who's, who's in Scotland. And, yeah. Um, and she has these most beautiful images of, of actually quite fierce um, uh, seas uh, yeah. many times. But she does talk about this sort of this meditational effect that, she, that, that it has on her life. And it sounds like that's what happened to you because you found yourself floating in the water. And then you were thinking yeah. about the sea. Then it was taking your mind to other places at a time God knows we needed it. Yeah, exactly. And I think especially to be out at sunrise as a photographer, I've always loved that because everyone else is in bed and you see the wonders of a colourful or magical sunrise unfolding. And it's really special. So to have that feeling of being in the water and watching the sunrise just as the sun kind of tips over the horizon and there's all that golden light there was something really really special about that and I love to meditate and that to me was the same kind of thing and I would get in the water in the morning and and watch the sunrise that was the same kind of meditation in my eyes. Are you meeting many uh, morning swimmers? Uh, I I know that there's various clubs all over the UK now. Yeah there's definitely been an influx so yeah yeah, I've met lots of people and made some good friends out of it actually so it's been really nice just all kinds of different people all walks of life just coming together just to enjoy that same thing. Uh, And and I do notice that your your photographs you talk about the golden light and the the colors of your photographs are absolutely gorgeous and I know know that you sell your work online as well and you can see a a great selection on your website I'm wondering I know you've got the underwater housing I know nothing about underwater housing by the way so this is going to be a complete lesson to me Okay. Uh, l- like our conversation on van life, which is coming up as well. <laughs> but but are you able to fix filters to your lens in this housing as well? Because much of it, I mean, the colours you get when you're in the water are simply out of this world. Oh, thank you, first of all. <laughs> um, but no, you can't fix filters. So the housing is built for specific lens size so when I purchased mine I just purchased the bog standard thing that came with it because I had no clue what I wanted to do with it so it fits my 18 to 55 lens so I played around with that for a bit and it's literally so fitted there's no room for a filter but then I realized my 60 millimeter macro lens is the same kind of size and it actually fits in there too and that's what I've been really enjoying shooting with because I think because it's a macro lens the perspective it brings I can shoot really close to the ripples of the water or the wave that's coming gives a really interesting perspective but yeah I mean as for filters no but yeah I think it's just the incredible colors that seem to unfold at that time of day and how that reflects on the water there's just so many different elements that come into play and that picture on the front of your website by the way that that's a gfx in housing isn't it no so that one oh, is i thought it was a XT3. gfx oh yeah. okay yeah so that one's my xc3 so yeah the the, the housing is actually bespoke for, for whatever camera, model yeah. of camera you want yeah. to buy it for yeah. yeah so i've got it for the xc3 and it's not cheap is it no it wasn't but there's, there's so many to choose from as well same as buying a camera isn't it they're all good it's just finding what works for you and your price range so yeah i think i ended up paying about 650 quid for it yeah Especially coming from a point where you're thinking, oh, I'd like to try this, but I don't really know whether it's going to be something I use all the time. So, I mean, there were brands that were about 
£1,400. And I thought, I'm not going that far with it. So, yeah, I kind of went middle of the road. But there are also underwater uh, uh, bags, aren't there? There's softer bags that you can use. Yeah, I did try something like that, first of all. And it it worked until over the winter it got really cold and then the condensation and and everything like that got really damp inside and it never really came back from that. But it was, I think I spent about £70 on this bag type thing, this lock bag. And it just, yeah, once it started going wrong, I thought, no, I don't want to ruin my kit. So I'm going to invest in something a bit better. Um, uh, Is there a particular part of the coastline that particularly interests you? I know know you like the South Coast. The Jurassic Coast is absolutely beautiful and you're probably spoiled for choice and you could work that Jurassic Coast for the entire career, I would would imagine. But are there there other places you've visited that capture your imagination just the same? Yeah, definitely Cornwall. Yeah. When the weather's good in Cornwall, you can't really go wrong. Whether it's surfers or whether it's just these crystal clear waters and beautiful coves Mm. and hidden tidal pools. We had a holiday in Cornwall last year and our mission was just to find all these great tidal pools. What's a tidal tidal pool? um, So it's where when the water goes out, you've got this natural rock formation where the water's just kind of left behind. Ah. So we don't really have that in Dorset. We have a man-made one which is Dancing Ledge. I've never heard um, of that, no. Yeah, so I think, I don't know what, I, I won't go into a history lesson because I'm not 100% on the facts, but somebody basically blasted a hole into this rock so that right. school kids could go down there and swim. Um, so we have that on the Jurassic Coast, but yeah, we don't really have anything else like that in Dorset. So going to Cornwall and hunting down these tidal pools that you can swim in are really cool. You do swim through the year, don't you? You're not yeah. simply fair weather swimmer. I mean, this is something you do all year round and i met i met yeah. some um swimmers on the the beach in brighton i think it was mu- it was much earlier this year and yeah. it looked it looked really cold they were both they they both had these uh, big towels around them they'd just been for their swim but they they did say that actually the temperature in the water is not as cold as you think and in the you can tell me this, but the, the seas around the UK tend to stay fairly similar all year long, apart from just a couple of months. Yeah, it doesn't go too bad, actually. So you can kind of go up until December, it probably starts cooling down. Yeah. And then January, February are the worst, and it might get down to about six degrees. But then there's times where over the winter, we've walked across a, a frosty beach and it's minus two, and then you get in the water and it's six degrees. So actually... You feel like the water's warmer, and it is. <laughs> but then it's it's when you're getting out that's the hard bit. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so photography and sea together is not always the best combination. Um, and we've talked about the housing that you use, but but yeah. also of course on 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 land as well that can be a bit tricky. What do you use to keep everything clean and tidy and dry? And I know you've got the underwater housing, but you spend a lot of time by the sea. And spray, of course, is yeah. a big issue for, for cameras. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my camera's quite weatherproof, so yeah. it's it's quite good. Um, but yeah, it's just a case of getting home and making sure everything's clean. Plenty of wipes. It's just going to be a constant issue, isn't it? The spray from the sea coming up. But yeah, I'm surprised my gear lasts as long as it does, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. I'm really pushing it. You, you started very much, uh, you were photographing the vistas, weren't you? Yeah. And I know that that's changed within your work. I saw a film where you suggested that, that things things have changed. How, how, how have they changed? Yeah, I think you get to a point where you've shot the same scene so many times and mm. you naturally start looking for something different. And I found myself looking at, 
details or looking for movement so kind of dabbled over the last couple of years with a lot of quite abstract shots and it might be up close to the wave and it's a slightly longer shutter speed and the waves coming over but you know you're in so close that it looks quite abstract or like the bubbles under the water using the underwater housing or a shell on the shoreline I can get obsessed with that for a good hour so yeah just looking for those smaller details I find quite therapeutic you you mentioned slower shutter speeds that Mm. must be pretty tricky because there's no such thing as a tripod underwater um, no. when you're trying to steady your unless that's part of the abstract nature of, of what you you end with it you end with a slightly more sort of intentional camera movement within your yeah your yeah it can be it can be quite a combination because yeah you have to think you're not static the mm. water's not static so everything's kind of moving and you can take lots of shots and there'll be one that is kind of what you've what you've been after because everything's changing all the time and there's so many variables that adds quite a lot of excitement as well because you don't know what you're going to get until you get home and and bring it up on the laptop but yeah like you say it can end up being a bit of icm as well as the wave moving because you're just kind of moving with it are are we likely to see you diving as as well with your housing now i'd love to i've got um fins so i do like to i know you have the fins i've seen the fins underwater (laughs) yeah but actually taking it one step further and going a bit further out yeah i'd love to yeah i've I've thought about it and i think i probably would be interested in getting some proper training or someone who's experienced kind of showing me the ropes and taking me out definitely now we've talked about ambassadorial roles on the program before congratulations from us are are overdue because you joined the fujifilm x photographer ranks earlier this year how did you find out um, I had an email. Um, ah. <laughs> yeah, I had an email asking whether I'd like to come on board. And of course, my answer was yes. Did you even have to um, think about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I read the first line. Didn't you read the rest? <laughs> yes, I'll have it. Thanks <laughs> yes, for... I'm doing it. Yeah. I'll read the rest later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been quite a long relationship of working with Fuji and just having general conversations and and I did a few bits here and there with the launch of a lens and I'd spoke for them at the spring shoots photography show that that was online during the pandemic so there was a bit here and there so it was a really nice organic relationship so when the email came through obviously it was a lovely surprise but it, it didn't feel like it was so out the blue that you know there was no relationship there already because you did write about this in your blog it's not just about the free stuff and what you know and, and tagging them and hoping that they'll say come on board it, it, it is yeah. about long-term relationships it's about showing that you genuinely believe in the kit and it's what you use as well isn't it yeah it's a bit of um give and take isn't it and yeah. i use what i use because i love it and it works for me yeah. so the fact that then that brand want to back me and support me and want me as part of the team is is a huge compliment mm. in my eyes why did you change because you were a dslr shooter i don't know what yeah. flavor of camera you were using but yeah so i was always um a nikon dslr right. shooter and I was gifted my first DSLR around about 12 years ago now, I think. And it was a Nikon D3200, so it was quite a beginner level. Because um, I'm not very technically minded at all, so it took me a while to get to grips with. Um, but I kind of went from there and I'd upgrade and get the next model. And I remember we went around India for three weeks and oh. I had all of my gear on my back. And I just, it was the t- I think it was 2018 and it was the time where mirrorless was really getting big. And I just got back and with achy shoulders thought, I really need to look at this and think about 
about how I can improve my experience really and I remember seeing one of my friends down the beach shooting with the Fuji X-T1 and I saw it and I just saw how intuitive it was with the dials and what you could see on the back of the screen is exactly what you're shooting so yeah it kind of went from there and then I got the X-T3 and we'll uh, return to Emily Endine very soon for part two right back to your questions we have a book today don't we Kev have we got, we have we got a book, book of the month which will be book of the bi-monthly soon <laughs> That's that, it, doesn't, it doesn't really trip off what, the you tongue want, you mean you only want me to do a book review every two months don't you start <laughs> uh marcus norman i've read that the new h2 um xh2s will have a much improved af when compared to the xt4 is there any change uh autofocus this is uh, in the tt4 will it be improved via future software upgrades i'm considering swapping my sony a7 III for an xt4 but I worry about the AF. I mainly shoot portraits. I love my X-T2 shooting experience so much that I've slowly been adding more Fuji lenses and selling off Sony lenses. Sounds like you're making the move already, Marcus. Um, so now, both of us have used the um, the X-H2S. You've probably tested it far more than I have, Kev, because you did those amazing autofocus shots with uh, with a doggo, didn't you? Yeah, I've used it at three weddings as well. I, I mm. love it. So a couple of, couple of things that... that raised my very substantial eyebrows in that oh, statement were right. first of all uh you do not need to worry about autofocus especially if you're a portrait photographer there is the xt4 xt3 xt2 and xt1 are and were all perfectly fine autofocusing systems there's just no no reason to be concerned about well, that at I, all i suppose when he's using a sony a7 III, which you know you can set it on a nine it just follows the eye around even if the eye goes off to tesco and comes about half an hour later that's what he's worried about isn't it that, that it had such a really good autofocus system yeah maybe i just think hmm. ask annie Leibovitz if she you know 15 years ago whether she was thinking oh i need a camera that can autofocus faster <laughs> probably not yeah. uh i think we all kind of i'm including myself in this you know we all we all love new new tech and new new stuff but only only get yourself into a system if it gives you something that your current system doesn't mm. the xh2s autofocus system is better than the xt4 mm. okay it's faster to focus uh it has faster frames per second it has eye tracking face animal tracking flower track oh, i don't know you can track whatever um flower track. <laughs> I, I never use any of that stuff i have to say i always use single point yeah but it is faster the, the, one of the angles of that question was will we will the xc4 be updated to uh, xh2s autofocus system i don't know obviously i don't know but my gut feeling is no because this is a new sensor so X, xh2s has a new sensor so i'm guessing that that probably won't happen but that doesn't mean the xc4 you know the x up, up until three weeks ago i was using xc4 my x pro 3 no issues none whatsoever just because something new has come along doesn't mean that the previous ones are are worse xh2s is a beast an absolute beast i don't like using it <laughs> but your, think, yours is to do with the hand grip of the the ergonomics I, and the pasm dial though that, yeah. that that's what's ruining your experience and i think you know i think it's quite ugly as well not that what the camera looks like shouldn't you know be a fundamental decision but yeah. i would i don't think i would i can see myself ever kind of picking up the xh2s and wandering around the streets with it i'd go with my x100 my x pro something like that had they let i mean i've got the xh1 in my hand here and had they left these uh the exposure triangle dials the way that it was in the the inaugural body if you like you may have been 
more inclined yes, to uh, uh, yeah you're right i like i like the manual dials um and i think you know if we if we think back to our conversation with andrea so the house of photography at the um party show that we did you know he was he i think if i'm right i was certainly kind of hint in this direction that you know there will be certain styles of cameras where the pasm dial will be a focus and on others it will remain uh with the manual dials which is great and that makes perfect sense because they're 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 pacifying the people that want dslr types type stuff and uh you know with a pasm dial and then they're also pacifying grumpy old like me who want the (laughs) old school stuff of course the pasm dial um the the design on the new x h2s (laughs) get used to saying all the letters and numbers, is such that you can choose uh, far more. You can set the camera up so you, you wouldn't have to change that exposure triangle too much um, in the way that you did with the manual dials before. So you, well, I mean, you, yeah, you, probably, you, you probably don't choose more than I have. I mean, I, I probably have three or four setups that I have at most, and, and the X-H2 will deal with that. Yeah, I just stick it in A mode anyway, P mode. I, I don't really even worry about anything else. I was thinking about flashing in the evening and when things do change a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just sticking in P most. <laughs> Fair deuce. <laughs> uh, you know me, but um, yeah, I mean, I, it is highly customizable. I love it. I do, honest to God, I do love it, and I'm I'm genuinely excited about this sensor and what will come in the future. Uh, I think that you know we all kind of we everybody compares thing you know as Sony or uh, whatever it is and Canon this and Nikon that and whatever you know uh, it's always it's all ever since I've been a photographer it's always been the same you know you it's like a it's like one of those those horse racing games you see at the, the fairground you know where you throw your ball up in the air and it lands in a hole and then your horse moves a little bit further away than the the next one and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it feels a little bit like that to me, you know, uh, at some point, one of them will be better. Uh, another point, uh, another one will be different. I think what we have to really, really congratulate Fujifilm on is the fact that they are essentially not alienating anybody. The, the amount, uh, this frustrates the hell out of me, the amount of people on groups and, and I've had conversations with people, oh, X-H2S is getting this super fast autofocus. Why isn't it in the X-T4? Why isn't it in the X-T3? Right, because it's a different camera that they've made this this is a new camera that's the, what the word new means it's new it's come out later than the others yeah. you know you know you you can't just click your fingers and get we, we've been spoiled with technology you know you do tend to uh just the latest and greatest thing gadget whatever you go oh that's great i'll have that but you know it's they, a fujifilm have to run a business but what they have done and they've done this very cleverly since day one is they've they you know they have kept the soul if you like of the original x series but they've given people options you know if you don't like the tilt screen don't buy the camera with that tilt screen or if you don't, do like or the don't tilt screen, use it buy it with that tilt screen or, or, or don't, don't, don't use it yeah this yeah. tilt screen thing i've never i know there's some people that get their their, their underwear and a, a firm twist about this one if you don't like the tilt screen leave it where it is I mean, I, I even th- forgot that there was a screen that came out of the X100V, <laughs> but it does, but I've never used it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it, you know, if all the cameras were identical, then they wouldn't sell, you know, it, it, it just wouldn't make sense. And, and you know, ultimately they are a business, but they, you know, they've, they've created an amazing ecosystem that, that is, is, is a good place, I think, for anybody that, that wants to get into it. And yes, the autofocus is phenomenal. And I mean that genuinely. But though I said that when the X-T4 came out, the autofocus was phenomenal. I meant that genuinely. When the X-Pro2 came out, autofocus was phenomenal. I meant that genuinely. You know, and then there's also the whole thread where 
XH2S comes out and, yeah. oh, well, I'm going to wait for the X-T5 then because, you know, Did that'll a- be even better. I'm like, well, when the X-T5 comes out, what are you going to wait for next? 3S or something? Because that will be even better still. Stop, Kev. <laughs> We did have a question. I'm trying to find it on uh, on on moving autofocus. Uh, where was it? Moving autofocus uh, points around on the H2. Uh, where was it? So that you can. Be, and I've struggled with this as well myself, actually. Although I think I've formed a system now, but but of uh, of deciding what you want the focus to be on. But then you say you use single points, so it's not something you'd have really looked at, is it? Yeah, but I don't really understand the question there. In other words, when when um, when you want when you're using autofocus, because it is amazing. Yeah. If you're thinking right, there's three people in this frame that are, are of kind of equal mm-hmm. in, e- equal sort of on a similar plane, if you like. Yeah. But, but you want the person on the left to be your focal point. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that they remain the focal point and the focus point doesn't dance around and choose subject B or C instead? You're about if you're they're using face detection. Yeah, that's the only time when that that could ever be a consideration. Yeah, uh, then you just nudge the joystick. I think. How did you it? do it with your dog? I just pointed the camera at my dog. Yeah, but there were there was dog and Albie, wasn't there? Uh, yeah, but I didn't use any of the face detection stuff, so did I just pointed it. At, uh, so if Albie was like. In front of the dog, pointed it at him. Yeah. If the dog was in front of Albie, I pointed it at him. I'll go do my homework on that one. For you get simple. <laughs> Point your cameras at the things you want in focus. Yeah, but you don't want them always to be in the middle, is what I'm saying. But yeah, the face to tell. I, I understand. So you know, you can have uh, as far from what I've read anyway. You it, it will kind of go green on the one it is in focus. That's and I think right. It's yeah. a blue box and a white box, and yeah. You, you yeah, you can just you just nudge the little joystick, or you can use the touchscreen which i turned off but you can use touchscreen yeah oh i must uh, i must turn that off because i did burn through a few batteries the other day right should we go for a book yeah book of the month soon to be book of the bi-monthly <laughs> okay so do you want me to look at the front of the book or the back of the book which and that will determine what it's called which bits in focus <laughs> um what, what do you mean the front or the back really yeah so this is a book of two halves to use a football analogy yeah Okay, let's go for the back. Okay, the back. So this book, the book of the month, is called The Worst of Times. Right. Ask me to look at the front. Look at the front of the book. Book (laughs) of the month this month is called The Best of Times. This could have been a bi-monthly book. Yeah. (laughs) We should have saved this one. (laughs) Tony Tony Othan is the um, uh, photographer, Uh, and this is another one which I kickstarted on Bluecoat Press um, Kickstart, and it was a few months back. Really nice. So I was, because I kickstarted it, I got a nice print, and it's signed, and I've got my name in the back, along with a lot of other people who I recognise. However, it's now now available for everybody else. Um, I'll read the blurb before I talk about the pictures. As a freelance documentary photographer, Tony Othan has had many clients, most of whom were in the charity and educational sectors. Mm. His photography thus always had a purpose to support the aims of the charity and the development of the educational bodies. Knowing why the photograph was taken is vital. Let me give an example. Walking into an elderly lady's poorly furnished flat, I didn't take shots when she was smiling, only when she was looking sad. This is because my reason for being there was to promote the work of my client. In this case, it was called Task Force, who were encouraging young people to volunteer to help those in need. It was my gut feeling that if this lady was looking too happy, the objective would not be served. So I waited until she looked sad and reflective. Um, He wouldn't have too many problems if he came and photographed me, I have to say. My image was real, but not necessarily representative. It was a moment caught in time, not posed, just selected. 
uh, yeah, so the book, the book itself is uh, it's beautiful as all the Blue Coat Press books are, beautifully produced, nice kind of. Is it actually square? It looks a little bit larger than square, a little bit longer on one edge. What does that make it? A, a, a small oblong shape, right? Maybe. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, just like fundamentally beautiful. The portraits, especially, I like. He's talking about that in the in the, the introduction to the book. So, as he says, you know, it's not necessarily structured moments in time, but they're not staged or set up. They're selected, and and it's a case of beautiful, beautiful black and white prints all the way throughout, concentrating on certain characters. For example, oh, there we go. Look at this. Cool, that could be my grandmother. Uh, Newport, South Wales, 1968. Um, that does look like my Nana Mullins, I have to say. Uh, when you finish the housework, what better thing to do than sit on your doorway, watch the world go by, and talk to passers-by? I think it might be, you know. Isn't that funny? I'll show this to my dad. Or... Is it your grandma? Uh, really? Is there a yeah, chance? Yeah, it does look a lot like her, I have oh, to say. How funny. Although she is in a doorway of a house that she... That's certainly not the house she lived in when... I mean, she died when I was seven, I think, right. but... Okay. I don't recall her ever living in that house. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's, it's a really lovely picture of a, you know cracked window pane, the lady in her in her um, overalls sat outside Newcastle, nineteen sixty eight, old man with his pipe and his flat cap walking across the road. What I love about all these these nostalgia pictures, and we don't need to talk about nostalgia again, but is you know <laughs> there's like four cars in this entire street, like four. And, and it, now that exact same street, the houses would be the same, I'm sure. Maybe some of them have been re-rendered. But you wouldn't be able to get parking now. No, exactly. Be, you, you just you certainly wouldn't be able to wander across the road like that. Um, and the pipe, everything about it. Uh, Devon, 1968 again. Thank you. Thank you. Not only are you bringing back memories attached to the pictures, but you're making me remember the other things I had completely forgotten as well. And there you go. That's the point I always try and make. So this is a picture of an old lady in a scullery and she's got, and it, you know, and you just look around, you look around the room and, and, uh, you know, this, the, the wooden door, the water tap that's, bolted into the wall rather than gone through a, you know, full-on system. That's right. Um, the metal frying pan, all of that kind of stuff. And it is all about the things and, and beyond, the, the isn't paint, it? The paint that's peeled completely off the walls. Uh, yeah. I'm not paint, sure paint. that the glass in the quarter light above her has cracked across the middle. Henor, 1970. I don't think I've ever heard of Henor. H-E-A-N-O-R. Where's no, that, I wonder? I don't know. Um, anyway, there's a guy sat here with a budgie in a cage above his head. And my nana used to have budgies. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like it. Didn't like it then, to be honest with you. But that was the thing, wasn't it? You had don't, people do, had budgies. Do people own budgies anymore. It's just sort of it, some I, people do, don't they? But I don't, yeah, do I, they? You know. um, I, I thought that sort of thing was like a nineteen seventies, a nineteen eighties purchase thing. Well, it was. It certainly was. Every lots of people had them in those days, didn't they? Um, my nan is when used to talk. It was great. Did it? Um, yeah. yeah. But London, nineteen seventy three, page one hundred and ten. This is an absolutely beautiful picture. Old lady sat in a leather armchair, which she probably bought that for a shilling. And now that leather armchair would probably sell for about £5,000 because it's vintage and, you know, somebody from Chelsea would buy it. She's with a, a gas fire that's not on, of course. Yeah. Um, there's dog food on the floor. I was going to say, what's that on the floor? Is that, yeah, yeah, I presume it's dog food. Or well, maybe um, a saucer of milk next to it. Yeah. Uh, rolled up newspaper in the corner there. You know, she's, she's, she's got gonna... proper Nora Batty stockings on. Look. Yeah. Proper woody type. That's what we're all going to look like this winter, by the way. Oh, probably, yeah. yeah that's yeah. exactly what we're going to look her, like. The look in her eyes is, this is what's coming for you, 2022. Yeah, we told you. Yeah. We told you. Yeah, yeah. Um, 1973. <laughs> the guy, next page, London. 
pipe again another pipe different chapter another pipe and he stood in front of his fireplace again another gas fire uh, a tin of pedigree chum warming up on the top so he's probably warming that up for his dog oh. uh he's got his washing strung across the fireplace that's right yeah um and above his mirror is naughty pictures pictures of naughties hmm. um he doesn't look the kind of guy <laughs> doesn't does he uh, I love it. I just love it. Look at all this stuff. You know, look, this is in Chelsea, this one. I can remember the tin bath in the kitchen. I, it doubled up as a table when not in use. And this is in Chelsea, this lady. And now I know there are still kind of social housing and stuff in Chelsea, but you would typically wouldn't look at this picture and think of Chelsea. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's a tin bath. She's got a plastic bucket with the washing in that she's about to do. Again, the water, the, the sink, these, these, um, what they call them? Far, not farmer sinks. Um, kind oh, of, I know one. the one you mean. Uh, not butler sink. Um, yeah, butler sink. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no, yeah, Belfast, butler Belfast. Belfast. Bel- Belfast. Yeah, Belfast or butler sinks. Like they were the cheap sinks in those days. That's it. They I just know, used to screw them to the wall. When, when um, we, when we redesigned our kitchen, it was the most expensive thing in, yeah, in one of the houses. I know. You want, a, you want one of those? Oh dear, that's going to be 1,500 quid, sir. Yeah. And the reason they were like the cheapest yeah. and the most used ones were because they were sturdy and they were simple simple shapes well so it was it was just a rectangle everything. thing wasn't it with a with a yeah. bit in the bottom for the for the for the u-bend and the and the soaker way or whatever yeah. yeah there we go so it is called uh it's tony often and the book is called uh the best of times call on the worst of times, worst of times. Uh, you can get directly from the blue coat it's about 28 pounds blue coat website i'm sure it's on amazon as well but my gut feeling is it would be better to support the publisher yeah, I love it. I really, really love this book. Excellent. We'll leave a link for it on this show page, of course. Oh, you're going to have a chance to do a show page, Kev. You'll be at the airport, won't you? Uh, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. There might uh, not be a show page for two weeks. No, I, I'm, I'm sure I might be able to, to do something in, a, in up front. Are you still not doing the beer on holiday? Uh, I've kind of fallen off the wagon a bit, I have to oh, say, since you? my last right. judo grading. Um, <laughs> you didn't so, go to that judo fight absolutely pi'd did you yeah i went in drunk it was bring good. it on i'm oh, sorry i've got barney next to me sorry barney <laughs> <laughs> he looks a bit worried about that yeah i would as well right uh yeah so yeah i did i've had a few drinks yeah. after those competitions and stuff so yeah. um but <sighs> come september though i will be back on the wagon fully will you ready for the next set of competitions I'm just looking at some of the names in the back of this book mm. that have backed it. Any famous ones? No, it's quite a lot. Jill Brown's there. Lovely Jill Brown. Yeah. She's a, a follower of the show. Yeah. John and Janet Willis. Not the Janet and John. Janet and John. <laughs> um, just seeing if who I would expect to be there is there. And he's no. not. <laughs> Martin Parr usually. usually oh, is that who involved. you're looking for? Martin Parr. Yeah. Uh, he's not there. Um, uh. Andrew and Verena. Victoria and Tom. Pat Hughes, I know Pat Hughes, I think. Kevin Adlard, FRPS. Well, before you uh, read off all however many hundreds of names are behind it, <laughs> uh, um, I, I'm going to let you... Max read... Passion. I'm... No, that's a name, isn't it? Max Passion. Well, I want to be called Max Passion. I don't think you do, Kev. It's a different kind of career altogether. Um, I'd like to introduce you to part two, <laughs> rescuing this moment of our conversation with uh, the new one of the new ex photographers this is uh, part two of emily endy and it's funny that you say you're not technically minded because when you consider what you have to do with your camera underwater the understanding that you have to have for when you're shooting in the water under the water over the water the, the amazing macro work that you do and the colors that you manage to pull out of those as well it, it this doesn't it doesn't look like the work of somebody who doesn't know the the back end of a camera from the front end i i, yeah. I mean I, I would imagine your your technical knowledge and your savvy has has, has increased 
remarkably over the last few years using the Fuji kit. Yeah, definitely. I think going back to when I first started, I didn't have a clue. And it, it could be quite overwhelming if you mm. just got all these dials and you don't know what you want to get out of it. But I think learning what you want to get out of it and then focusing on that and having a play around and seeing how that works for you. That's how I've learned, really. Mm. So, yeah, I'd say over the last 10, 12 years, just trying and trying and, and doing different things and seeing what I want to get out of it. Yeah, I definitely know the camera at the back of my hand now. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just it wasn't natural to me in the beginning. Um, but I always felt like I had quite a creative eye, so I'd see the shot that I wanted to get. And I could visualise it and I knew how that I wanted to do it. It was just figuring out how in the beginning. Well, let's talk about your new adventure. And this is fresh. I mean, we are literally, I think, less than seven days into this new adventure. (laughs) Jaime, the mobile home. Um, yes. That's what you've named. It's uh, Jaime's a she, obviously, isn't she? Has to be. Hi- <laughs> I think Jaime. so. I yeah. think so. Jaime, yeah. No, what? Jaime could be a bloke. I don't well, know. Jaime could, could be, I feel like Jaime's not masculine or feminine. Uh, I have, think Jaime could be quite fluid. <laughs> have you given it a voice yet? Because I, I, I give my car a voice. Oh, do you? Yeah. No, I've not heard of that before. That might sound a bit strange, but we do actually talk to each other and have arguments when the sat-nav goes a bit funny. Yeah, that makes sense. But go on, Jaime, Jaime, is, your, Jaime is your new love. Yeah, so Jaime is our new 1994 classic Jaime. Yeah. Uh, so it's a motorhome that we decided we would give up our house and go and move into, <laughs> um, just as you do. <laughs> so I decided a few months ago that I was going to quit my other job so I was working in insurance and I've kind of been juggling both jobs for such a long time that it got to a point I thought well, I really need to take this plunge and I really need to see what I can do with this because I really want to and at the same time we were thinking about going traveling in a van so I thought why not combine the two quit my job and leave my house at exactly the same time <laughs> why not what's the worst that can happen so um yeah we've been in the van for a week now and you'd think we'd be straight off on adventures but there's been a few hurdles to overcome first yeah one of those uh, being an overweight van yeah would, i mean so, how did you find that out because i would naturally assume oh, i'll just lob a load of stuff in the in the cupboards and we'll be fine so we've gone quite minimal anyway obviously going from a house to a van we yeah. sold a lot of stuff yeah. what was left we donated or gave away so we're down to really minimal essentials so with that in mind i was thinking we we must be okay so we'd heard of uh, someone who'd gone traveling and they had to get their van weighed because obviously if you go out the country and you're going abroad on a ferry i think you get weighed so we went off to a weigh bridge locally and found that we were overweight um, so they kind of weigh the front axle the back axle and then in total so you kind of get a feel for where you are too overloaded so obviously the first thought was oh my god what are we gonna do we've got we've got rid of all our stuff anyway what else can i get rid of i'm not getting rid of my camera gear so and that's the thing that probably weighs the most <laughs> so um we've actually applied to have an up rating right. on our van to allow us more load um, which I didn't even know that was possible either. But um, this company, they do it for you and they just arrange all the paperwork and then you do with the DVLA. So yeah, this week has been a learning experience of the boring side of fan life. But we need to get it right to go travelling and... Yeah, it's just one of those things, isn't it? You don't want to be worrying about when you're on the road because once we're out, I just want to be enjoying life. Well, I, I'm I'm very taken by van life. And I know when I wrote to you originally, it was like, oh, van life. Was, you know, I, yeah. I want to know more. If you look to my YouTube suggested watch list, it's full of mobile home versus camper versus trailer videos. 
first of all, why why did you choose what you chose? Because you there, there is the the journey and the destination, and I've heard that expression used a lot when it comes to choosing the van or or the trailer. Because some people choose the trailer approach. What? Why yeah. did you choose what you did? Because this is a quite a large a mobile home is a coach built experience, isn't it? It's larger. Yeah. I mean, the Heimers also are there. If you look them up online, they're quite bus-like. Huge yeah. left left-hand drive yeah. steering wheel. It's <laughs> it's an entirely different prospect, isn't it? You can't easily park it. So no. so what made you choose what you chose? Yeah, so that, like you said, that was a complete journey as well. From going into it, thinking I wanted to buy a panel van, yep, and I wanted to convert it ourselves because we could probably get the van quite cheap, and then just do the work. And as we started looking into all of this, I realized that for something that we want to live in and be our only residence, and it could be potentially for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, I really don't know. We're just going to see how it goes. So yeah, there was this whole journey of just looking online and just figuring out, looking at the vans for sale, what we were interested in. We went to see a couple to get a feel for the size. And for what we wanted, I think a panel van would have felt a little bit too compact yeah um so someone suggested a hymer and at first i looked at them and i thought no i don't want one of those <laughs> they just look so weird um they're big, and then we, they're big. Then we, yeah, yeah they're big well we've got the smallest version so still there big. are much it's bigger versions still big. <laughs> um so we ended up having a look at this model hymer yeah. and at first i just thought oh my god this is way too big but then once you start thinking about getting all your belongings in it and the fact that we live with our cat and our dog so they're coming with us <laughs> so it ended up just this process of being i don't want a homer to yeah i really think a homer's gonna work yeah going into this and going left-hand drive all of that kind of stuff really scared me but after driving it for two days i felt so comfortable behind the wheel you just get used to things don't you yeah. with anything in life i think you just get on with it and you get used to it what about the um i've got to ask about the arrangements each night because um yeah. in scotland there's a there's a right to park where you like and you can live in your van and yeah. go where you want and park up by a beautiful lock and there we go well, job done yeah but it's yeah. not so easy in england is it no not at all so as well as all the seascapes and landscapes i shoot i also shoot some weddings mm. um so i tend to only do about eight nine a year just a few so actually over the next week i've got a couple of weddings and the venues are quite good that that one of them's a farm so they've said i could stay for a couple of nights Perfect. as well yes. so i'm there from the beginning i'm there at the end which is amazing so i think f- we're going to travel with my photography and we're going to have to factor this in so you know if i've got jobs where we can park on site or you know if i'm being paid for a job and we can stay on a campsite nearby then that'll probably be what i do because i can go off and leave the van and, and leave my wife and the pets and, yeah. and and i can just go off and and do my thing come back but also like you say i think um wild camping in england isn't so easy I think people frown upon it and there's not necessarily the best locations for it. So our plans are to work up the country and end up in Scotland. Ah, yeah, that and makes yeah, sense. Sc- yeah, Scotland's going to be incredible. And yeah. I visited Scotland, but just we got as far as Glencoe, really. So there's so much more to well, see. There's a lot more to see than Glencoe, which exactly. is lovely in itself. <laughs> yeah, that's just like the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to travel up there, probably spend most of 
the latter part of the year up there. And, and how, how is that? You know, I think you kind of alluded to it, but how's that going to work with the business and being a Fuji X photographer and so on and so forth? Because you, you do do workshops, yeah. Yeah. You, do, you do present on stage, you do portrait shoots, you do commercial shoots, you do wedding shoots. Yeah, how, yeah, how, a bit of everything. How, well, no, which is going to be, I, I think, the best way with, with the new life. But how are you going yeah. to weave that in? Yeah, so I think it... It'd probably be a benefit because I can be anywhere. So mm. we'll, we will keep our plans quite loose so that if someone says next month or next week, can you come and do this? If I can factor that into our journey, then I will. So a lot of the commercial shoots that I do are kind of more based around my lifestyle. And I think I started shooting that way for a lot of brands and it's kind of just it's just worked. So I think any brands that I shoot along the way will kind of just fall in with our journey. Weddings, we'll plan our trips around them so I can go to locations and do that. And a lot of the work that I do with Fujifilm is kind of based around the way I shoot. So there will be plenty of opportunity. And I've even been able to embark upon a new project. And I want to photograph people of the ocean that I meet along the way. Fantastic. Yeah, so I started the project, just photographed a couple of people locally at the moment. But I'm hoping that this is something that I can take around the UK as well. So I know different swim groups in Cornwall, Wales, a couple of people in Scotland. So if I can kind of work around the coast of the UK and factor this in, then it's going to be amazing. So I'm seeing the whole van life as, you know, falling into place really nicely with the photography because I can make all these things happen rather than just being in Bournemouth and, yeah. and things are out of reach. Now, you're in your van as I'm talking to you, obviously. You're in Jaime now. Um, yeah. It looks quite comfortable, actually. Then It's some nice soft seats there. That's like, yeah, it that, really that's is. definitely the first class cabin of, of any um, train yeah. that I've been. Oh, look, and you've got the sofas yeah. behind you. It is a TARDIS in many respects, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> so we've got like um, in the front above the. Oh, I'm having a tour. Seat. I'm having a t- Oh, look, the, seat, the seats obviously turn around. Wait, yeah, if yeah. You see up there, the bed's up there. Uh, the bed falls so down. There's like a little seat yeah. belt you undo and it just drops down. Down, you lay yeah. the front seats down so it comes down quite low Perfect. we've got a nice dinette kitchen area l-shaped sofa at the back yep. for chill out times um there's even a wardrobe and a bathroom as well so yeah the benefit of the hymer was the fact that it's built for it and yeah. that we can have everything that we need and there's like a huge water tank under the seat that i'm sat on now and it holds like i think it's 120 liters so you know going off grid or going on adventures for you know certain times we won't have to worry about water or well i I mean in one of the various videos i've watched if you take a five minute the average five minute shower takes 40 40 liters of water or something doesn't it so you have to learn to do What's yeah. called, is it ma- oh, now? Uh, is it called maritime showering or military <laughs> showering where you just yeah, something you, you like turn that. it on only for the moment you need it? You lather <laughs> yourself up with the soap yeah. and, then, and then you do. But I mean, 100 litres is a decent size. Yeah. yeah, it's decent size. But like you say, I'm even thinking of that, even just washing my hands at the sink. I'm so conscious of it. I'll turn the tap on, get some water, turn it off, get the soap, yeah. wash my hands, then put the tap back on. So I'm so conscious of it now that if you hear the tap on for too long, you're like, why? You're wasting water. Why is that tap on? <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> and, but the reason I mention the comfort of it is because I'm wondering whether the workshops that you do, which which are, I know are, are, are very popular, um, mm whether you could host these on Jaime and whether that would be a kind of a draw whether people would think fantastic Jaime's coming to town yeah maybe I hadn't thought of um, incorporating Jaime in that to be mm. honest that's a great marketing idea this is why Jaime needs a voice it needs a character yeah. 
leads a character. Yeah. <laughs> on, on the workshops front, are you are you teaching uh, with regard to uh, un- underwater photography as well? So going into the water? Yeah, I definitely can. Um, so far, I haven't had anyone that's wanted to. Everyone that's yeah. come on my workshops has kind of made a joke out of it, saying, "Oh, I didn't bring my towel. I hope you're not going to make me." Get <laughs> so it's all been shoreline based so far. But yeah. yeah, I'd be well up for that because I absolutely love it. So anybody that wants to come out with me and just yeah have a play around i can show them how i shoot and, and what i do i'd love that uh, you, you extol the virtues of shooting local within your within your and you're just about to go all over the country but but yeah. but lo- local photography i think that's something that uh, lockdowns and restrictions taught us wasn't it that actually mm. the the beauty is is sometimes never more than a mile from our front door definitely and it's the way you perceive things sometimes isn't it because i think i touched on earlier you can take the same scene a mm. hundred times in the same way but i think it was during during early lockdowns as well I'd get on my bike and cycle and I had like a little river at the bottom of my road and then a bit further in the beach and I would just cycle along and I'd have my um, X-T3 and just my 35mm lens on and I would literally go out at sunrise and then just snap along the way wherever I wanted to stop my bike and it got me seeing things in a bit of a fresh way because I wasn't then just standing there with my tripod playing with filters playing with shutter speeds I was literally just cycling along and taking a shot so, yeah, it, it just opens your eyes again to the way you see your local area. So the adventure begins. Yes. Uh, you've got Jaime, you, your wife, the cat. The cat's name is? Uh, Aidy. Dog's name is? Buster. Right. So you've got <laughs> yeah. your menagerie on board as well with you. Where's the, fir- yeah. where's the first adventure? So the first adventure is likely to be Cornwall. So we're going to head over that way in August. So. Yeah probably touch on Devon in, on the way and then Cornwall for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and then like I say, I, I think September we'll head up towards the North Coast. So I'm talking at the photography show. So we've got, I think I'm doing three talks and two masterclasses. So it's going to be really full on. So I need to start preparing for that really. So we're going to do the photography show and then carry on North. So that's kind of the loose plan. But like I say, things might get thrown in the middle. Someone might message me about a shoot doing something. But the, the great thing is I can just be flexible yeah. and we can just be wherever and then carry on our journey. So, yeah, the unknown is quite exciting. And our thanks to uh, Emily Endine uh, for chatting to us. And we'll have links, of course, to her website on the show page today. Right, back to your questions. Um, last part of the show before Kev jets out to join his John Cicadas. They're very, very... Very loud. How can you hear yourself think over that, Kev? Do they do that There's all night? one cicada in the whole of Andalusia as well. It's enormous. Do they do that all night? No, they don't. They do it in the day, though. Oh, right. And then they, they all stop instantly. Oh, it's about five past eight, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but they, they they stop occasionally throughout the day as well. It's, it's really bizarre because there is obviously thousands of them. Uh, and they're really noisy and you get attuned to it and then suddenly they stop. Oh. And, and because of my tinnitus, my tinnitus suddenly goes, woohoo, silence. I'm now going to bang rem- into your ears. It reminds you that you've got tinnitus. Yeah. Um, as, yeah long, as, as long as it doesn't try and do, you know, doesn't try and parrot the uh, cicada. And you never see them either, cicadas. You, mm-hmm. you just don't, but there's thousands and thousands of them. But you just, I mean, you would, if you looked really carefully, you'd find them. But yeah. they're really weird. Really I weird. love that feeling when you, uh, when you walk out of a, out the aircraft and you were hit by the heat. Yeah. Now, I know yeah. if you live in a hot country, you'll be thinking, well, just another day in paradise for us. But, yeah. 
Well, that'd be that. like be like the first Tuesday in July, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Second Tuesday in July, whatever we had that heat wave. <laughs> That's it. Right. Okay. Okay. Questions. Um, uh, uh, you go. You go because you've got one. I've actually I've got one question and one point. Okay. Um, we'll go with the point first, uh, and it's from Ed Mikkel, and he says, "Question for Neil. A few months back, you had mentioned that your eyes were bothering you when you used your computer for an extended period of time. Yeah. I don't remember you saying that, yeah. but." Clearly you did. I had suggested that one of the university doctors here and rec- had recommended holding a very warm cloth to your eyes in the morning and evenings to rest your eyes. Oh. Did you find any other help with the issue? Photography is a little tough when you start losing your eyesight. Well, I don't like to think I'm losing my eyesight. I have noticed, Kev, sometimes during the night, that it gets very stingy. And I wake up with a bit of a stingy eye and I think, oh, no, stop doing that, stop doing that. Have you, not no- have you noticed that? No. Uh, I'm falling no. apart, Kev. I get hay fever. I've only had it, well, not, I wouldn't call it bad this year, but I've only had one episode of it this year. Right. And that can, that can be bothersome, but no, I don't get stingy eyes. No. Um, and I, I didn't try that. I should do, shouldn't I? It, it seems to have, uh, uh, it seems to be a bit better actually, but mind you, one thing I did do is I changed the color temperature on the, uh, on the monitor that I use for emails and stuff. Obviously I can't do that when I'm, when I'm editing, pictures it needs to be true color but I, I warmed up my displays a bit and that has yeah. that has helped there we go there we Good. go that's that one display warming yeah <laughs> question okay so the question is from isabel goroff and uh, isabella goroff i should say I am new to both Fuji and street photography and can't wait to dive right into everything street with my cameras. I'm planning a solo photo trip to London in October to primarily photograph, but I'm open for anything photography. What are your recommendations for street photography areas? It's been over a decade since I visited London. Anything else photo related I shouldn't miss. Thanks for an awesome show. Keep the entertaining. Love, Isabella. Well, this one one bats straight to you, Kev, because uh, with your your street courses that you do in London, you will have oodles of places to go to. Uh, Yeah, so I would say it kind of depends a little bit whether you want to be a photographer in a touristy type area or if you want to kind of uh, hit the hit the back streets and stuff. But I think if you're, you know, if you're visiting London, I love the tourist areas. If you're visiting London, you haven't been there for a while. You're not, and you know, and you want to see London as well. Then I like to do, so the route I like to do is, um, Trafalgar Square, down through um, Whitehall, past um, the Crooked House, over to, which is Downing Street, by the way, over to the House of Parliament, over the bridge, along South Bank, past the London Eye, keep going along South Bank to um, London Bridge, have a quick and around Borough Market, over the bridge um, into the city, St Paul's, you can go over the Millennium Bridge if you wish to come back a little bit, into St Paul's, turn right at St Paul's, go into um, into the city, uh, hang around Liverpool Street, that kind of area. Um, and then if, you, if you're still going, then you can even move further across from there and go to Shoreditch, East End of London. Um, that's, that's a good, honest route yeah. for tourists that yeah. will give you interesting photos. Um, otherwise you could just, I would stay away from places like, uh, Soho and stuff like that, to be honest with you, Chinatown. I mean, they're interesting places. Don't, don't not go and visit it, but don't expect to get killer street photos there because it is literally packed full of people wandering around with selfie sticks and stuff like that. But if you just go a little bit North, you can end up in like seven dials, that kind of area, go across to 
Wardour Street, up through Wardour Street, uh, and all of those kind of back areas of kind of Belgravia and stuff like that, they are silent. It's really, they're, they're great, those streets. Um, there's hardly any traffic goes through them, very quiet, and they have some some wicked shops and stuff like that. If you, yeah. you get across the Denmark Street and look at all the guitar shops, see where the um, Sex Pistols lived, um, all, there's just loads, loads and loads and loads. And all of that, that entire area I've just spoken about, is i think probably less than one and a half two and a half square miles maybe and yeah and, uh, and if and you include if, shoreditch if you want to get on the tube you could go down to sloan couldn't you and uh because along chelsea road or it was mayfair it yeah, yeah you can go across there That's yeah if you want to head west um you can you can kind of do that uh or you know or, or you go south of the river go south of the river past waterloo go down if you keep going well or you can do it from london bridge just keep going south and you'll end up in elephant and castle and from there you'll end up in uh clapham and uh kind of the burbs if you like um and if you head if you go down kind of that direction you can go to electric avenue there's a lot of good markets and everything like that that kick around i think they have a market there every day um, I think don't go don't go all the way to Electric Avenue to find out. <laughs> Kev, you were wrong. There's no markets there anymore. <laughs> I tell you what, a, a, ni- a nice quietish place to photograph, but there's always quite interesting considered people. Is the Tate Modern because yes. you're allowed to photograph in there. Yeah, uh, and I've always found that photographing behind things, particularly when you have those rooms full of uh, full of art exhibits, is quite an interesting proposition isn't it and it's a wonderful building mm. brutalist architecture mm. uh, and it's you're right it's free to go in uh it's not free to go into the exhibitions but you can go into the building and wander around well some of the exhibitions are free but they're, they're some all, of them are always yeah, the yeah, special yeah. ones like the salgado one recently that's yeah not, is it? No, yeah no um and it's got those those very iconic stone stairwells and it's got yeah. that kind of runway in the middle and everything yeah, with the yeah. bridge yeah that's a great place that's a good call yeah. well, salgado wasn't there that was the uh science museum wasn't it salgado in london anyway at the time it was at the science museum although which one did we go and i went with you to the take modern to what to look at an exhibition didn't i yeah we uh, we've been a couple of times haven't we and it is a, gr- a great place ah oh, i can't remember but also in the turbine hall they usually have mm-hmm. something really big and interesting to photograph in itself they've had the moon in there didn't they years yeah. ago the sun that big sun uh um, so there's usually something in the turbine hall with and that's right yes with, that's right opposite the millennium bridge yeah which takes you straight into st paul's yeah and if you didn't want to turn right at St Paul's and go to the city, you could turn left and go and look at the Royal Courts of Justice. And if there's some bad boys getting in trouble there, then you'll usually see journalists and all that kind of stuff outside. On their ladders. On their ladders, yeah. yeah. yeah and then yeah. if you keep going, you'll go up the Strand and then you'll have the, the Savoy and you'll end up back on Trafalgar Square again. Now that sounds like it's something that's going to make you very, very hungry and thirsty. Where would you eat, Kev? Well, uh, so there's a couple of uh, very nice hidden places that you mm. could try. There is the, I oh, know I can't remember what it's called now. So on Trafalgar Square, there is St. Steve, uh, the Crypt, the Crypt Cafe, ah, which yeah. is underground. It's actually underneath St. Stephen's Church. Yeah. So you'll see the big up. church in yeah. the corner. Um, so don't go to Costa and all of that kind of stuff. Just there's next to the church is is look what look what looks like a glass dome. Yeah. Um, and descend the steps and you'll go into a crypt. It's beautiful and if it's hot, it's always cool in there. Yeah. You can get yourself a alcoholic beverage or you can get yourself a sausage roll, whatever, and everything in between. Alternatively, if you are on the south bank and right. you can't be facing the crowds and all of the stuff that goes with that and the prices. Um, there is a set of green stairs that look like, and I always thought, took you to the car park right. uh, at the top of the South Bank Centre. But no, it's a garden terrace pub. 
Ooh. So head up those stairs. Nice. And you'll find a nice seated area. It's always quiet. But yes, as you're coming to London, yeah. be very, very much ready to be shocked at the prices if you were here 10 years ago. Yeah, but of course, the pound has weakened now. It's only worth 22p against most things. So well, that's true. So in that respect, <laughs> yeah, that's true. have a party. <laughs> oh, there is another place. If you really want to push the boat out, I, I looked this up quickly. It's at 41 Dean Street, and it's called Duck Soup. It's a bit alternative, but it's amazing. Duck Soup. Duck well, that's soup. the name of the restaurant. That's the name of the restaurant. It's uh, one of these really cutesy restaurants. Not many, not many covers inside. Um, you can sit up at the bar and, and have food there. The menu is constantly changing, constantly changing. It's a surprise every time you go in. And the people are really, uh, they're just so knowledgeable because they're, uh, they're young foodies that work in there. They love it. It's a brilliant place. Every time I go to Dean Street, I always want to do the the the, the, um, the theme that every all the cinemas used to do. Yeah, remember that it was Pearl and Dean, wasn't it? Pearl and Dean, yeah. Pearl and Dean. Right, question: Have we got time for any more questions, Kev? Must be nearly time for you to get on your airliner, surely. Um, I'm just seeing. I've got a quick question. Yep, Graham Harris. Mm. Uh, a quick question for you, gents. Q being not about. Q, quick, but the Q menu. Right. I've just bought an X-Pro3 and was pleasantly surprised how customizable the Q menu was compared to previous cameras. I've yeah. put eight options on mine with my most used functions like face detection, self-timer, and film simulation. How much have you customized your Q menu and also the My Menu function? I have done the My Menu, yes, but not the Q, no. So, yeah, I, this is one of the things I do like about the X-H2S, and it's the first time I've ever really done set up the Q menu because, obviously, it's, like, less things controllable. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's fully customizable. You can even change the background colours of it these days and the size of the, the letters and everything. The My Menu button, the My Menu thing, I, I didn't, I liked the idea of it in the beginning, but I didn't like the fact that every time you turn the camera on and press Menu, it took you to that My Menu rather than the last menu you were in. But that also has been fixed, so all good. Do you think, Kev, we should have asked Andreas this? Did we actually ask Andreas this? I don't believe we did. X100V, now that we've got the X... H2S V that uh, on the roadmap surely that's that's the next one isn't it and what would it be what X100 what we have we have discussed this before I know uh I don't think I think the X100V is probably well again uh, probably on a three-year cycle I would imagine maybe well, it must be close to that now surely 2020 wasn't it X100V. I thought it was the I thought it was the year BC before COVID no I got mine during COVID Did so you? But I didn't get it at the beginning. So when oh. was the X100V launched? Uh, yeah, 4th of February 2020. Oh, okay. It was quite recent then. Right. Uh, yeah, so I wouldn't expect to see one of those. No. Right, yeah, but you're right about the V. What happens to the nom- nomenclature? Because it's gone. It's fifth. Yeah. I reckon it's got to be called X100IV. Boom, boom. No, VI. VI even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by yearly <laughs> x100 vi that's going to complicate things isn't it, it will a bit i think yeah um do you think there's ever a chance that the x100 series of cameras will ever have uh twin cards two cards do you think maybe uh i reckon there's a well i yes i think there's a realistic chance of that happening i literally have no idea on this by the way so don't certainly don't quote me on any of this i'd love to see it happen however i do also know for a fact because of conversations with uh, engineers and stuff it would make the camera a bit bigger yeah 
bit fatter. But but um, probably, uh, funnily enough, I held it the other day to a Leica M6, and it's a, it's only a little bit smaller than the M6. And I've always thought the M6 is a really lovely sized camera. So even if it was just a little bit, tinsy bit bigger and became the same size as an M6, whoa, that'd be lovely. Good, I, we- good weight. Potential, potentials are maybe uh, there would be like one internal memory and one memory card as long as the internal memory was big yeah you know i'm thinking 256 gig plus then that would be a good option as well because that i think would make wouldn't need to be any size increase but anyway who knows but yes i would like it we shall consider we've got one more question then peter from county durham hi fuji guys no that's not us that's not us (laughs) no fuji guys are somebody else they're (laughs) they're official people he did say in brackets i'm probably not allowed to say that no we're not but you said it. So lots of people you speak to either in person or online, says Peter, say once you've gone full frame, you can't go back. What do you both think of this? Especially as you both came from full frame. But then I guess the full frame cameras you had are quite old tech now. The newer tech full frames really pop, which is what people are talking about. What do you think? Does he do full stops? What do, you- <laughs> what do you think of this? And do you ever think about it, especially in your commercial and wedding work? Regards Peter in County Durham. Um, well, yeah, we. I mean, I, I've sort of come away from it, gone back, and yeah, the full frame thing in the end wasn't wasn't a thing for me, Kevin. Well, that wasn't the. It's never been. Oh, this one's full frame. It's always been about one thing for me, and that's been skin tones and the XH2S. Amazing skin tones. Yeah, I full frame again. It's just a choice, isn't it? I can't even answer the question. You know that. Once you go full frame, you never go back. Mm. Mm, that's just not true, is it? And loads of people. I was, I was full frame. I went back. But that wasn't. I mean, you never went to Fuji and, and back to Canon, did you? Because no. the, it became the shooting experience for you. It was all about the shooting experience, wasn't it? Yeah, it's all about what worked and what I enjoyed. And if you know, if like full, I, I always I like when people say, "Oh, full frame is better." I have to think why. I would ask them why do you th- why do you think full frame is more suited? Well, to you? the first thing yeah. people will say is it's all about the bokeh. Well, bokeh exactly, chicken, and if see? it is, if it is, if it is that important that you get that extra little bit of uh, blurriness in the background, then of course stick to full frame. Mm. But that's literally the only thing. And perhaps our push, although I don't think it's relevant these days with modern tech, you might say that in low light, uh, you know, the noise to uh, pixel ratio is better and stuff. But literally, again, I, I think if somebody started talking to me like that, I'd just turn around and walk away. <laughs> you wouldn't be that rude, Kev, surely. I guess you probably would be, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm sorry, I cannot continue with this conversation. You have bored me to death. <laughs> Right, well, that's it for uh, another month. And then when we return in September, it is now, Kev, get this right, bi-monthly means... Every, well, it's not really bi-monthly, because you're right, it's it's every other week 0.5, isn't it? Because there are five-week things. So that's really going to confuse you, isn't it? So we're going to do it in September and November. So <laughs> so <laughs> should we just say it's every other week? Every other week. Isn't that a little bit more... <laughs> you, can, you can wrap your little mind about that one around that one, can't you? Unless it's a leap year in oh. February. Or leap month, even worse. Yes. So, what are you looking forward to most of all with your holly bobs? Oh, I'm looking forward to doing sweet. 
Uh, you seem to fade out at that moment. I'm not sure why. Uh, are we expecting lots and lots of pictures of you with? Uh, it's usually you, sun lounger, feet, and beer. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's going to be the most. Of it. I'm not taking any stuff with me. I'm not. In the past, I used to take my drone and I did some videos there. I'm not taking anything. X100. Literally going to be naked uh, for for one month. Oh, we do go to one of those beaches. Do you? Mm. Have you ever done the naked bathing, Kev? Well, I think that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> well, that, I think I think it's that, very popular in Andalusia. I'm let's sure just say it that. is. Yeah, Kev, with all his, with all his cacks off. Don't be rude. Uh, I do apologise. Right, that's it for another month. Then uh, we will see you in uh, as, as all the scores go back, and we go to our every other week show. And uh, well, uh, have a lovely holiday, Kev. Have a super time. Stay Thank clear you. of those man-eating cicadas, whatever you do. <laughs> see you later. Bye-bye. Bye bye. The Fuji Cast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.